thank you, praise team, for leading us into the presence of the Lord and helping us to focus our attention on Him. As some of you haven't seen me a lot lately. Uh, I've been blessed to be able to go down to Limestone, Michigan. That's greater metropolitan downtown Limestone. And I've uh, been privileged to be able to share the word there uh, with the folks there. And um, it's just been an honor. Uh, it's so such a privilege for us to be able to look into and study and, and read God's word. And I think that there are times when in our lives we take that for granted or we ignore it. And um, so today I, I want to read some scripture. I want to talk about some things that remind us of the real blessing that we have and the things that we should be uh, thankful for. This is the season of Thanksgiving. Many of us uh, celebrated Thanksgiving uh, this past week and enjoyed a great time. Uh, and while we have much to be thankful for, many things, uh, many blessings that we have, we also have difficulties and circumstances that come along and, and uh, cause us to question, to wonder, uh, to lose focus, uh, sometimes to be out of sync with Him. Uh, as I was sitting down and, and working uh, through some ideas for my message this morning, I came across this uh quote some information from sermons.com. It's a, an online program that I receive uh, information from. And it goes like this. During, back during the dark days of 1929, a group of ministers in the Northeast, all graduates of the Boston School of Theology, gathered to discuss how they should conduct their Thanksgiving Sunday services. Things were about as bad as they could get with no sign of relief. The bread lines were depressingly long. The stock market had plummeted. The term Great Depression seemed an apt description of the mood of the country. The ministers thought that they should only lightly touch upon the subject of thanksgiving in deference to the human misery all about them. After all, uh, what was there to be thankful for? But it was Dr. William L. Steiger, pastor of a large congregation in the city, that rallied the group. This was not the time he suggested to give mere passing mention to Thanksgiving, just the opposite. This was the time for the nation to get matters in, per, uh, in perspective and thank God for blessings always present, but perhaps suppressed due to intense hardship. And then the author of this article went along and said, I suggest to you that the ministers struck upon something. The most intense moments of thanks, thankfulness are not found in times of plenty, but when difficulties abound. Think of the pilgrims that first Thanksgiving, half of their number dead, men without a country, but still there was a thanksgiving to God. Their gratitude was not for something, something, but in something. It was that same sense of gratitude that led Abraham Lincoln to formally establish the first Thanksgiving Day in the midst of national civil war, when the butcher's list of casualties seemed to have no end and the very nation struggled for survival. It is those times when we are to be most thankful, those times when we are under great difficulty that we are to be 
grateful to God for what He has given to us, what He has done for us, what He has accomplished in our lives. It's difficult, it's hard sometimes for us to to change our focus from the circumstances to the God who has done all things for us, but those are the times when we draw closest to Him. In First Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 18, we read this, Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Notice that the Bible didn't say here that we are to give thanks for all circumstances. I've actually been in the presence of some who have uh, misinterpreted that or misquoted that and said that we are to give thanks for all circumstances. You know what? There are times when giving thanks for our circumstances are very difficult. I don't believe that that's what God is saying. He's saying be thankful to God in those circumstances, in those situations. And yes, God has given us much to be thankful for, and that's part of a big part of what we're going to be talking about today. As I mentioned in the quote uh, earlier, it is in the times of testing and difficulty that we should be the most thankful. As that, uh, sorry, it didn't move. As that great theologian Forrest Gump would say, "Mama said, like life is like a box of chocolates; you never know what you're going to get." That's so true, and it's a humorous statement, and we can look at that and and uh, find humor in that. However, the reality is, is we don't know what's in store for us. We don't know what's ahead. We don't know what things are going to come into our lives that may change us for eternity. And we have to be ready. For instance, how can you get your mind around something like this? I received a... a uh, an email from Dan Nelson, a prayer request this week. He says, a girl both Becky and I grew up with in Kearney was in an accident last week. This was this past Tuesday, and all of her three kids were killed. I'm sure you saw that in the news. She was in critical condition at the time. Please pray for the Kearney Evangelical Free Church and Pastor Bob Donaldson. Pastor Donaldson is our former uh, pastor here. Uh, he had come to us from uh, Kearney Evangelical Free Church. He's back there as an interim. And that's uh, our Julie Mata, our director of music. That's her father. Also pray that as people struggle with the why God questions, that they will be drawn to him and not in their anger and sorrow reject his love and comfort. The grandfather of these three children is a cousin of Jan Brondike. It's a... Uh, person who is well established in that church, well involved, uh, they are going to be struggling over there as they try to minister to this family. So for us to say, well, just be thankful. How, how can you be thankful that three children are killed in a car accident? We are to be thankful to God through those circumstances. And sometimes in spite of those circumstances, in spite of those things that come in to our lives. Only somebody who has something solid to rely on, to believe in, can be thankful and give thanks in all circumstances. If we are those who are tossed with every wind of circumstance and change, 
We will be confused. We will be angry. We will be frustrated. We will ask that question, why God? And how could a loving God? Those questions that cause us to doubt and to wonder. We know that the world does not have hope of this kind. And in this world, there is no hope. There is no promise other than the promise of what Scripture gives us. And so today we're going to be looking at some comparisons. I'm not going to spend a lot of time in the comparison of what the world view is. You know what the world view is. Many of you, uh, sadly, get bombarded with that on a regular basis. The world view on, on things is all about achievement. It's about how I look and about sex. It's putting others down to make myself look better. It's about money, power, many other things. Things that we do to earn love, to earn respect, to earn what other people think of us. It's about knowing worldly wisdom, which is denying Jesus Christ. So today, I want us to look at the biblical side. And I'm just going to give us one example. As I was thinking about this, I thought about many scriptures that I could have used. But I was drawn to this section of scripture in our Tuesday morning Bible study. We're going through First John. And as I was reading and studying and preparing, these verses just kept coming back to us that we studied just recently. So turn with me, if you would, to First John and we're going to read uh, beginning in First uh, John chapter 3. And we're going to read from verse 11 through uh, verse 12 of chapter 4. First John chapter 3, beginning in verse 11. This is the message that you have heard from the beginning. We should love one another. Do not be like Cain who belonged to the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own actions were evil and his brothers were righteous. Do not be surprised, my brothers, if the world hates you. We know that we have passed from death to life because we love our brothers. Anyone who does not love remains in death. Anyone who hates his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life in him. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers. If anyone has material possessions and sees his brother in need but has no pity on him, how can the love of God be in him? Dear dear children, let us not love with words or tongue, but with actions and in truth. This then is how we know that we belong to the truth and how we set our hearts at rest in his presence. Whenever our hearts condemn us, for God is greater than our hearts, and He knows everything. Dear friends, if our hearts do not condemn us, we have confidence before God, and if we receive, I'm sorry, and receive from Him anything we ask because we obey His commands and do what pleases Him. And this is, is His command, to believe in the name of His Son, Jesus Christ, and to love one another as He commanded us. Those who obey His commands live in Him and He in them. And this is how we know that He lives in us. We know it 
by the Spirit He gave us. Dear friends, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. This is how you can recognize the Spirit of God. Every spirit that acknowledges that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God, but every spirit that does not acknowledge Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you have heard is coming and even now is already in the world. You, dear children, are from God and have overcome them because the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. They are from the world and therefore speak from the viewpoint of the world and the world listens to them. We are from God and whoever knows God listens to us, but whoever is not from God does not listen to us. This is how we recognize the spirit of truth and the spirit of falsehood. Dear friends, let us love one another for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear children or dear friends, Since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. One of the things that I truly love about God's word is that he doesn't just tell us to do something. He doesn't tell us how we should do things or how we should believe, but rather he gives us the ability and the power He enables us to do the things that He calls us to do. And so in this particular case, let's just go through uh, some of the things in your outline here. We'll look at some of the things. We're going to look at the word view of love. And so the first thing we see is we should uh, love one another, not like Cain who killed his brother. And And we think to ourselves, well, you know, I've never killed anybody. You know, I've I've never... Uh, murdered somebody else. And, and, and you probably, uh, never will. However, scripture tells us is if I hate my brother, if, if I hate somebody else, it's like I have murdered that person. Is there somebody that you hate? Is there a brother in the Lord that you hate? If so, you do it because you're like Cain. I do it because I'm like Cain. I, I uh, have people that I know that I don't really uh, care for. And yet that person might call himself a brother. And, and, and I have to guard myself against going to the point of hating that person. Because maybe they have done something to me or they have done something to somebody I love or they've done something to the church where they've maybe destroyed or, or split a church or caused tremendous issues within a church, and you, and you become angry with that person. And in some ways we want to have revenge, and yet what the Scripture tells us is that we ought not to be like Cain who killed his brother. And anyone who hates his brother is a murderer. We have to guard against allowing Satan to bring hate into our hearts toward anybody else, especially a Christian brother or sister. How are you doing in that area? Killing uh, can come in many forms these days. It's not just physical murder. 
But many times it's an attitude. It's a spirit that we have towards somebody else. Well, one of the other things that... uh, Sorry, I got behind here on my... Uh, one of the other things that we have is we have a model of real love. That's, that's again, one of the things that I really appreciate. You see, God doesn't just say to do certain things, but he gives us something that we can look at as, as a model. Well, who is the real model of uh, love? And that's, of course, Jesus Christ. He's given us an example of what true, true love is. Verse 16 says that Jesus laid down his life for us. My question always when I read something like that is, okay, when, when did Christ do that for me? When, when did Christ lay down his life for me? Or maybe another way for me to say it is, when, when did I recognize that Christ had done this for me? Scripture says he did it while we were sinners. Right? While we were yet sinners. What does being a sinner mean? It means that we're in opposition to or we're opposed to God. We are His enemies. So when Jesus Christ came into the world from God, Jesus Christ is God, when He came from heaven into this world in the form of a human being, when He came and did that, He did that while I was yet a sinner. I was still His enemy. Christ came. God gave His one and only Son. He came into this world and He died upon a cross for me at that time while I was yet a sinner, while I was His enemy. Why is that significant? Well, as you all know, I have two sons. We have two grandsons. We have two granddaughters. Two wonderful daughters-in-law. I could not imagine today giving any of them or my dear wife to die a horrible death for an enemy. While somebody is my enemy, while somebody is doing something mean and and nasty and ornery to me, I can't imagine giving that person that I love so dearly to be beat upon, to be crucified on a cross, to be killed and buried for that one who's an enemy. I can't imagine. That kind of love is far beyond what I can picture. I can't imagine in my heart, as I look out and I see all of you, people that I love dearly, I can't imagine me turning you over to somebody else to to kill that person, to kill one of you, for an enemy down the street who is swearing against God, who is an enemy of the church, who wants to stop us and prevent us from preaching and teaching God's word. I can't imagine sacrificing one of you. But God, while we were yet His enemy, sent His one and only Son, Jesus Christ, who came, lived a perfect life, and died upon a cross. There's no greater model of love than that. God doesn't just tell us to do things. God has demonstrated it for us far beyond what we can imagine, certainly beyond what we can deserve. So therefore, the Scripture says that since we have that kind of a model, then we have to be an example or a model for others. We have to live God's love, not just in words, 
according to what this scripture says, but in action. You see, I, I can very easily say, well, you know, church, I, I love you. You're all wonderful and, and I love you. And then I turn around and I go and I do something that causes problems within the church. Maybe, maybe I do something that, that caused some of you to go astray, to wander away from God. That's not living a life that is a model or an example for others. In verse 18, we're, we're told, that, dear children, let us not love in words or in tongue, but with actions and in truth. That means that we have to serve people with the Christian model. We have to be examples to them of what Christianity is all about. It's easy for us to speak love and then ignore somebody. One of the first places this starts is at home, isn't it? As we are going to, as we receive God's love, as we we recognize our need for God's love and, and, and what we have gotten from God, then we need to model that for our family. As we interact with our spouse, with our children, with our parents and our grandparents, with, a, with others in our family, we need to model that. We don't want to take advantage of our spouse. We don't want to abuse our relationships with our children and with our family members. We cannot speak love and model just the opposite. One of the things that, since I've been in church leadership, that I have heard more times than not is what a hypocrite my mother or father were. They'd come to church and, and, and be all, you know, in favor of whatever the pastor is saying, and they raise their hand and they get excited and they love the Lord in church, but then when they get home, they're entirely different. They're hypocrites. You know what, the church is full of hypocrites, but the problem is God loved us even while we were hypocrites. But when we're at home, we need to model that same love of God that we profess when we're here in the church. It's not always easy. One of the things that I have been working on for the last two years, and the elders get a report monthly that this is something I'm working on, and that's what comes out of my mouth. I can tear somebody apart so quickly with what comes out of my my mouth. And I have to guard against that. And it starts with my family. And I need to work on that. We all need to work on that so that we're not hypocrites. So again, back to biblical love. What does it look like? Well, let's see if we can see some examples. Verse 23 says that we must first believe in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, we know from Scripture that even Satan believes in the Lord Jesus Christ. Even the the demons believe that. But do we believe who He is? That's That's the key question that comes into play. Do we recognize that He is Jesus Christ as the Son of God? If we believe in His name, we then need to do as He commands. See, the, the world right now is full of people who are telling us, well, you know, Jesus Christ wasn't the Son of God. Jesus Christ isn't God. Jesus Christ isn't who He said He is. Jesus Christ was a good prophet. Jesus Christ was a good man. Uh, all kinds of other things about Him, but they refuse to acknowledge who He is, and that is that He is God. 
And when we fall short of recognizing that and acknowledging that, then we are the same as the world. So how do we model it? How do we demonstrate that? Well, we do as he commanded. What did he command? His first command was to love one another. Love God first, love one another. Made that very clear, abundantly clear. How do we love one another? Well, I don't know about you, but there are times when I've been in a position where uh, I have told somebody, for instance, that, you know, they'll say, would you pray for me? And I'll say, oh, sure, I'll pray for you. And then I go and I forget all about it and I don't pray for that person. In fact, I might even forget all about what it was that they mentioned that they needed prayer for. Well, that's not loving them. That's not putting love into action. One of the things that I appreciate about my wife is so often she'll be talking with somebody and they'll say, would you pray for me? And she'll take time right then. And she'll put her hand on them if it's, if it's in person and pray for them. Or on the phone, she'll say, can I pray for you right now? She does a much better job of that than I do. When people ask for a prayer or they ask us for something, and we have the ability to do that for them. Oftentimes we fail and we feel that guilt that comes with that. The Holy Spirit enables us to understand what that person's need is and helps us to do that. Sometimes people might come to us for financial assistance and we say, well, I can't help you with that right now even though you might have more than enough money in your wallet to be able to help that person. But maybe because of past experiences, you recognize that, well, you know, this person is not trustworthy or they're not going to do what's best with that money. Uh, Or maybe I've got something else I wanted to spend it on. People come to us with all kinds of needs, and the only way that we can model Christian love for them is to help them through that. Well, one of the things that we have to also guard against and be aware of and be alert to, and that's that we need to be able to discern between spirits. That's what the beginning of chapter 4 is talking about here. So that when something, something comes along and starts to teach us, we have to be able to test the spirits. We must be able to only listen to God's voice not the voice and teachings of the world. And the voice and teaching of the world, frankly, is much louder, isn't it? If you watch television, all you have to do is turn on the television and you will see at time and time and time again the world trying to tell you something, the world trying to teach you something. We can so easily buy into worldly teaching because we're not alert, we're not ready with understanding and applying God's Word on a daily basis. And so our worldly teachings come at us on a regular basis. One of the things that many of you have heard me share before, and that's that if you watch television and you watch commercials on television, a white heterosexual male is portrayed time after time after time as a buffoon as a dummy. Now, I've had people laugh about that. They don't believe me about that. Ann and I will be sitting and we'll watch TV and we'll see a commercial come on and we'll look at each other and we'll say, buffoon or dummy, 
You know, because that's the portrayal. It's an intentional thing that's happening from the world in terms of how we view marriage and and males who are in a heterosexual relationship. And so, if we don't know what the Word of God says about how valuable we are in His sight that He gave His one and only Son, Jesus Christ, to die on a cross for us, if we don't recognize that, we can start to buy into that worldly teaching. And it undermines what our belief is about other people. It undermines what our belief is about marriage. Uh, in the book of First John, we are warned in there several times that there are those who were part of the church who had gone out from the church, that had left the church. And, and Paul or John describes them as the antichrists who have gone out, and they're teaching things that are contrary to the word of God. We need to be alert and listening to the word of God. We need to be able to use the Holy Spirit to discern and help us as we hear some of these teachings. And we need to make sure that we don't start to question who Jesus Christ is, but rather we're solid on Jesus Christ and what he stands for and what he believed and what he is. And if we're that, we can get through just about any other kind of teaching. These witnesses, these people who went out, are trying to destroy the church. Have you seen that in our world today where things are happening that are trying to destroy the church? You don't have to look very far to see how that's happening over and over again in our time and in our age. It's not a future thing. It's a present thing for us. And we have to be ready for that. Well, verses in chapter 4, verses 4 to 6, talks about uh, the one who is in us is greater than the one who is in the world. We have faith and trust in the risen Christ. We know that uh, He has overcome not just the world, but he has overcome Satan and the destruction that comes. He's overcome death and destruction of people. He is not tossed here or there. He's solid. We can go to him and rely on him. We can trust in him and believe in him. He is greater. Greater is he who is in us than he who is in the world. The world wants us to doubt him. But if we believe in Him, if we hold on to Him, He is that anchor that never moves, that is never shaken, that we can rely on forever and ever. Well, verses 7 to 12, because God has loved us enough to save us, we must then love one another. We must love one another. That they may come to that same saving knowledge that you and I have. Now, loving one another doesn't mean that we just say, oh, just go ahead and do whatever you want. It's okay. I, I, I love you anyway. But rather, sometimes it means that we call them short and we say, your behavior is not representing Jesus Christ very well. Your behavior is not representing the church. Your behavior is causing people to stumble and to fall and you need to stop and turn and repent from what you're doing. That is love. And we don't always want to feel or think that that's love, but that is truly love when we see a brother who is causing others to stumble and we correct them. The world says that everything is all about us, doesn't it? You only go around once. Get all the gusto you can. Some of you are old enough to remember that. 
that phrase? Here's a commercial that many of you will be able to recognize. Ladies, get your fair share. Right? You, you know the ad I'm talking about, right? And, and this is uh, uh, something that we kind of laugh at and, and we chuckle at, but it really is kind of undermining, isn't it? The reality of how we should function as a married couple. In that commercial, you have the man who is preparing for hunting season and, and he wants to buy some new piece of equipment for hunting season and, and his wife says, ladies, get your fair share. Come and buy furniture from us. And um, the problem with that is that we find ourselves all too often thinking only about ourselves and not thinking about Jesus Christ and how He would have us to behave. I'm always shocked, to be honest with you, as I look at Facebook, and I started to do this and I changed my mind. I I actually downloaded a couple. they're, They're almost... Every day, probably several times a day, if you're on Facebook, you'll see something where there's a put-down of a husband. Sorry, ladies, but that's the, the husbands don't usually do that with the wives on Facebook. Um, not saying they don't do it other times, but on Facebook. But there are these comments that are a put-down of the husband. And, and people laugh at it and, and chuckle and they think, oh, that's so humorous. And yet, what is that doing? It's undermining a relationship. It's undermining... Uh, who we are in Jesus Christ in that marriage, in that relationship. That is a worldview. That is buying into something that the world thinks is funny and cute and humorous. But all too often it represents a destruction of a relationship. All too often it represents that, that there is a problem that's going on and people are not dealing with that problem. And so we do it in a humorous way. We laugh about it. But you see, the world is full of hurt and harm and hate. And we have to be the opposite as the church. We have to be full of the love of Jesus Christ. We have to represent Jesus Christ in a way to other people that honors Christ, honors God, and draws them to a saving knowledge and relationship with Him. This is how God showed His love among us. He sent His one and only Son into the world that we might live through Him. This is love. This is love. Not that we love God, but that He loved us and sent His Son as an atoning sacrifice for our sin while we were yet His enemies, while we were yet sinners. This is love. Dear friends, John says, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and His love is made complete in us. You see, the only way that people will ever see Jesus Christ, will ever see God, is to watch us, the church, in action. And if we are a dysfunctional body, if we are, if we are a dysfunctional group, if we are a group that, that is uh, at, at animosity toward one another, that's what the church is going to, or people outside of the church are going to see and hear. When you go to work tomorrow, Will you complain about the message that Pastor Hank shared? Or or will you complain about something to do with the music or something to do with something that happened at church? Will you complain about somebody or something and then out of the other side of your mouth say, "And by the way, I'm a Christian and I love God. (laughs) We can't do that. 
We have to love other people in words, but also in action and in deed. And part of that is we don't complain and grumble about people. We model Christ by serving other people. By being Christ to them who have never seen Christ. The only way for people in the world to see God is for us to model Him for others. As we come in contact with other people, we need to model and demonstrate what Jesus Christ is all about. As we love others, we are modeling Christ's love and demonstrating Christian love for other people. That requires us to first know Jesus Christ ourselves as our personal Lord and Savior. We have to have trusted Him for our salvation. We have to believe that Jesus Christ has the ability to save us. See, Christ came into the world. He was God. He came into the world. He lived a perfect life. But people hated Him and His message, and so they, they took Him and they arrested Him and they crucified Him. They beat Him miserably, and then they hung Him on a cross. And He died a horrible death hanging on that cross for you and for me. And He was taken down from that cross, and He was buried in a grave. But God did not allow Him to stay in that grave. God raised Him back to life, and Jesus Christ was seen over a period of days by hundreds of people alive and still continuing with the message of hope and promise of eternity. And then there came a day where he ascended into heaven. He's still sitting at the right hand of God the Father, waiting for you to believe that he is God, that he is from God, that he has made a way for you to spend eternity with him in heaven. He's waiting for you to surrender your life to him. And then after you surrender your life to him, then you need to live in such a way that you model that love for other people, that they will be drawn to that same Jesus Christ. That's what Christianity is about. And we need to be more serious about us living in that way. So my question for us here today is, which love are we modeling? Are we modeling the the world love? Or are we modeling the love of God demonstrated for us while we were yet sinners? I need to work more at modeling the kind of love that Jesus Christ called us to love. I need to work harder and more at at being that, that gracious man of God that he has called me to be. As I recognize what he's done in my life, I need to, to live that before others so that they are drawn to that. If you've never trusted Christ as your savior, if you don't, didn't understand the things, some of the things that I've been talking about here today, if you came with somebody else, ask them about it. And if they don't know the answers, if they don't know how to tell you about that, they can direct you to some of us who will be able to help you with that. If you've trusted Christ as your Savior, are you modeling His love and His grace before others so that they are drawn to that? That they want that in their life? That they're not rejecting the church, they're not rejecting Jesus Christ because of you. Live your life before men, that they too may trust Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. Father, I thank you for this morning, and I thank you for the truth of your word. Lord, none of us are really able to live it perfectly, but you enable each of us to grow in our faith, in our love, in our salvation, 
help us to model your love to other people as we come in contact with them on a daily basis. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.